you may be seated this morning. Some of you are saying, finally. How, oh, what a great, wonderful moment to come to worship Christ. Never take this for granted, especially during these times. And before moving on, I want to make sure that we pray for all of our students this morning. There's some students that have been going back to school already. We have prayed for some of the high school kids and the grammar school kids, junior high kids. There's some university students that have just started this week with their online classes or however their colleges or universities are doing it. And there's a big burden over our hearts for them. So if you're a student here, I know it might be a little bit embarrassing, but I'm going to ask you to stand just because we want to pray for you. We want to identify you so that we can pray for you. So any students, please stand up. If you're in college, university, uh, grammar school, or wherever you're going, please stand. And I'm going to invite the church to, to pray for you. You don't have to stand up. The rest of you guys don't have to stand up. But just look around, church. I want you to identify some of these young kids and um, pray for them. Pray for this generation. They need God. So let's pray. Father, there's a burden over our hearts and over this church for the young people. People that will go into a battlefield, Father. Even through this interesting time where they might be online, sitting in front of a screen for hours. Father, we pray that you encourage them, you give them strength, and you don't let them falter or, 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 or be weary during these moments, Father. Let, them, let their minds be open and alert so that they can learn the good. Father, but we also know that there's a spiritual dimension, Father, that, that will attack all of our students, even those, especially those that are going to college and universities Lord, where they will be constantly bombarded with doubt about their faith, doubt about who they believe in, and doubt about the Scripture. So we pray that you maintain them strong. You keep their faith in Jesus Christ, because he is the only way, truth, and the life. And so we pray for, for their lives, for their faith, and we pray for protection over them as well. Keep them safe in any area that they go to, Anywhere they are, Father, keep their minds safe, keep their bodies safe, keep their spirits safe. In Jesus' name. And the church says, amen. Thank you, students. You may be seated. I'm going to invite you to open up your Bible this morning. Uh, we're, going to, we're going to go quickly over to 1 Corinthians before we jump into our topic We've been going through the book of John, but I want to read something to you very important that has been weighing, has been weighing on my heart for quite some time, especially during these moments. And I want to make sure that you hear from God what we're called to do as we've been exploring the book of John, and especially in chapter 5, we've come across a section that has called us to witness towards Christ, that has called us to the gospel of Jesus Christ, that has called us to be uh, not cowardly when we are supposed to be evangelizing and, and spreading the faith and spreading the, the one true gospel, which is what this world needs. 
doesn't need anything else other than the gospel. And I want to remind you of the words of the Apostle Paul this morning before we get started in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We'll start off in verse 1. Apostle Paul says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature we do, not, we do impart wisdom, although it is not wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret, a hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages of our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for him, for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of this world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us. And we impart these words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting the spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. To the natural person does not accept the things that, of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. We'll stop right there. The Apostle Paul calls us to a message that is imparted by the power of the Holy Spirit. A message not that we fabricate or that the church has invented, but a message that is at the core of our faith that has been revealed to us not by the wisdom of this world, not by the Harvards or the Yales or Oxford. It has not been imparted to us by the, the wise teachings of America. It has been given to us by God. And that is simply, as Paul says, Christ crucified. Friends, that's the message that we carry in our hearts and that's the message that we walk on as our foundation to our faith, that Christ was crucified for the sin of this world, but Christ rose in, 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 in victory over sin. So I want you to be sure, and I want you to be clear on what your message is, especially if you're part of the church, not simply this church, but in part of the church in general. You're called to a message that is something that has come to you by way of spiritual discernment. So that's why, as Paul says, it may be a little bit awkward to everybody else. 
But to us, it is the power of God for salvation. So never underestimate that and never fear what this world can throw at you because you have a message that is backed up by the living God. And so now more than ever, the church is called for, to have confidence in this message. The church is called to have courage in this time and within the message it contains. Christianity will always be looked up, down upon, will be criticized, will be swept under the rug by as many as possible. And that's fine. But we are not to be cowards during this time. These moments are for the church to be confident in God's word, confident in God's scripture, confident in the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is power for salvation. That's what we are exploring today as we continue in our witnesses uh, to the gospel. As we explored last week, there are four witnesses to Jesus Christ. And this is the testimony of what the church is supposed to be doing, witnessing or truth-telling about Jesus. One of the first aspects of this witnessing was God the Father backing up the Son's claims of his divinity and about his power to salvation. And then we explored a little bit of John the Baptist, and we're going to develop that a little bit more. But before we move ahead, I want to remind you of a time in our history, our American history, if you could go back several decades to World War II, you may not, may not have been around during those times, but you may have been taught a little bit of World War II and a little bit of the history of the war. And you may recall that during World War II, the German Luftwaffe, which is the aerial weapon or the component of the German armed forces, was considered at that time the best air force in the world. It put the full force of the Blitzkrieg or lightning war tactic through a series of short campaigns to shock, overwhelm, and disorganize the enemy through the employment of surprise, speed, and superiority in firepower. That's what the NFL does when they call blitz. It's a shock. It's a surprise to the opponent. That's why they call it blitz. Through this tactic, though, the Luftwaffe managed to defeat countries such as Poland, Denmark, Norway, Belgium, the Netherlands, and even France, among many others. However, in the summer of 1940, it met its match against the Imperial Air Force of Great Britain, the RAF. This was known in the Battle of Britain where the outnumbered RAF flyers successfully resisted the Luftwaffe and they successfully canceled their advancement into British territory. And it is of these fire pilots who were outnumbered that the Prime Minister Winston Churchill, I don't know if you've ever heard or have, are familiar with Winston Churchill, he was a great orator, he was a Prime Minister at the moment and he famously said in his famous speech 
titled The Few, he said this about the RAFA, RAF flyers, and I quote, The gratitude of every home in our island, in our empire, and indeed throughout the world except the abodes of the guilty goes out to the British airmen who, undaunted by odds, unweakened by their constant challenge and mortal danger, are turning the tide of the world war by their prowess and their devotion. Now listen to this. Never in the field of human conflict was so much owed by so many to so few. It was the few that changed the trajectory of the war. It was the few that managed to stand up in the face of danger, being outnumbered and with a, a facing a far superior aircraft that managed to defeat the Luftwaffe. This was a time, as Winston Churchill calls, for courage, for people to be undaunted and unweakened by mortal danger. These British Air Force, this, this small group of British Air Force men, they, they faced danger with courage and managed to change the trajectory of the war. So that's why, my friends, during moments like this, courage is what we are called to do called to have as we face constant danger. Now you may say, well, what are we, what, what's going on? Well, what are we uh, afraid of or, or what are we supposed to be afraid of? Well, you could just turn on the news. You could just look around. And even the spiritual attack that's facing the Christian church on a daily basis. Many of you are afraid even to go downtown or if you live in the area, many of you are afraid to even go to North Riverside Park Mall. I used to go shopping for Jordans there, and I can't go there anymore. It's crazy. It, people are afraid. People are afraid to take their families out. People have to see what state they can go into or what city they can go into. It's time for courage for the church. These pilots showed and demonstrated courage, and the same should be said of the church. See, there's always a few that can stand up against the many. And the Bible is even very clear on this. Many are called, few are chosen. And so in the strength of the few, we find the strength of God Almighty. And that's why, church, never fear. Fear is not of the Lord. Your battle and your struggle will always be confronted with Christ in you as your hope of glory. Once again, it's a reminder of what our gospel is, of what it has done and what it will do. To keep us as a church victoriously seeking Christ, even in the midst of chaos. John the Baptist was this person that demonstrated what it meant to be a witness to Jesus Christ with courage. There was nothing particularly impressive about John the Baptist. We read this in Matthew just a little bit ago. He wore leather camel skin. 
He wore a, 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 a belt made out of animal. He ate locusts and wild honey. As we mentioned last week, there was nothing really impressive about him. There was no position in society. There was no cultural uh, influence that he had. What he did have, however, was a message. Here's this person that's interesting. As we read in Matthew chapter 3, all the negative or, or the uncool aspects of John were mentioned first as Jesus describes who John is, but then he says many were coming to him. Why were the many coming to him? Was, was he good looking? Was he an interesting figure? Mo- not at all. The message was what they attra- was what attracted the multitudes. This message, as we saw, was brought to the people in order for them to be baptized. Even the religious leaders came to him, and John called the religious leaders, you remember what he called them? Broad of vipers. It was the message itself that was dangerous, confrontational, and divisive. Something people are not too fond of in our current day. But the message was strong, and the message was the gospel. Repentance of your sin. That was what John was preaching. That was what John had in his heart and in his lips and lived his whole life doing. Preaching the gospel even when Jesus was not yet on the cross. John had the courage to face multitudes, to face the religious mob, to face the Roman authorities, and still manage to preach. It was not a soft message. Luke chapter 3 reminds us of the message. If we read in Luke chapter 3, verse 2 and 3, During the high priesthood of Anus and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism, here it is, of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. This is the message, friends. And it's a message that we often say here. It's a message that we often preach, and it's a message that you should be preaching. And here's why it's, it takes courage. Because it's very difficult for you to go up to your friend or to your family member or to your loved one and say, repent. Try to have a conversation with somebody that doesn't come to church and say, you know what, brother or sister, you know what, friend, you have to repent of your sin. And see how the conversation goes. See, see where that takes you. You know, you might be unfriended, unfollowed, unliked, whatever it may be. You may be completely ostracized by your community by preaching a message of repentance because it doesn't sit well with the people that have come to an agreement in their personal lives that they are okay. And if there is a God, they are okay before God. This is the message. It is not soft. It is not entertaining. It, is, it doesn't make you laugh. What Paul would say, it doesn't tickle your ear. It isn't an economic message. It isn't a motivational message. 
It isn't a 10-step program to have a better marriage. It isn't a 7-step program to make more money. It's repentance and for the forgiveness of sins. It's calling out those to repent. And so he was not looking for approval politically or culturally. And this is wonderful because in the Gospel of Mark, so I want you to open up your Bible now to the Gospel of Mark, we get to see this up close and personal. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, look what, look what happens when, he, when John the Baptist confronts authority figures or political figures. In Mark chapter 6, I'm not going to read the entirety of it, but I'm going to summarize the verses. In verse 17, King Herod reluctantly arrests John for the sake of his wife, who was actually his brother's wife, Herodias. Why does he do this? Well, in verse 18, John confronts him with the truth. And therefore, Herodias, which is the adulterous woman, hates John for being called out. In verse 19, she hates him. Who is this locust-eating, camel-hair-wearing, smelly person telling us authority figures what is right and what is wrong? Who does John think he is? And so Herodias hated John for being called out. In verse 20, Herod, in order to protect John the Baptist, he had to imprison him. He had to protect him from his wife. Why would Herod seek to protect John? Verse 20 teaches us that he knew he was a righteous and holy man. And every time he listened to him, he was perplexed and he rejoiced. He was glad to listen to John the Baptist. That's interesting. This authority figure who was called out understood that this man was a man of God. And even though he was being called out on his sin, he still enjoyed to listen to him. And so therefore, the story goes in between verses 21 through 28 of Mark chapter 6, that they have this great banquet. And in this banquet, Herodias' daughter dances before the entire court or before the banquet, and it pleased everyone. And because it pleased everyone, Herod said, I will give you anything you ask for, including half of my kingdom, if, that, if you so wish. The young woman goes to seek advice from her mother, Herodias, and Herodias says, ask for the head of John the Baptist. And if you read that, when you go home between verses 21 through 28, Herod is saddened by this request, but... To show that he's a man, and a man of his word, he sends the, the authorities to go cut off John's head and turn it in on a silver platter. John was murdered because of 
his message. He was murdered because what he spoke of and whom he pointed to was not culturally acceptable and was not comfortable for society. It's interesting to note that the first century historian Josephus said of Herod that he lost his kingdom, was driven to exile, and condemned to dwell in prison where he was eventually killed. All because of his wife Herodias, who caused war between her husband Herod and her father, the king of Arabia. So his own wife led him to his own murder and his own death. However, friends, what we get from Mark chapter 6 and what we see in John chapter 5, now I want you to return to John chapter 5 so that we can continue in our study. What I want you to see here is that John was not afraid to witness to powerful people. He was not afraid to be imprisoned, was not afraid of what people would say about him, and was not afraid of death. He was not afraid to burn for the cause of Christ. Remember the words of, of Jesus in, back in, in John chapter 5, verse 35. He says, he was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. You see, what Herod enjoyed at the moment could have been half of the message. See, there's certain, mess, there's certain aspects of the gospel that are very appealing to people. One of them is, God will forgive you. How many of you can say amen to that? I need forgiveness. I've been a bad person my whole life. I've been the scum of the earth. Many of us here can say, man, we were bad. Many of your wives can look at their husband and say, yep, this dude was bad. We know how bad we were. We know what we have done. We know what we have thought of. We know how we have acted in certain situations with certain people. We know how bad we were. And so all of us here can say, amen, hallelujah, glory to God for forgiveness. Because that's appealing. To forgive us our sins. That's great. And so what the people enjoyed during this time of John's baptism and John's calling of this message of the gospel was this aspect of forgiveness. Okay, I'm down with that. I'm cool with that. And, and I, can, I can come to hear that and I can come to listen to that. I think that's good enough. No, I think that's, that's pretty cool. And we could invite our friends to church to listen to that. Yeah, hey, bro, look, man, you're, you're pretty bad too, man. You need to go to church and ask for forgiveness. And Yeah, yeah, that's, that, that's cool. That, that's right. You'll, you'll be forgiven. We could all fly with that. However, when John called them to repentance and the repentance by way of fire which is the purification of, or a spiritual purification of your soul, that's when people got a little bit upset. That's when people were kind of like, well, you know what, John? I mean, that's just not that interesting to me. I'm cool with being forgiven. I'm not cool with asking for it. I'm cool with, with, with God loving me. I'm not cool with realizing how bad of a sinner I am that needs repentance. So 
People like Herod enjoyed John for a while. That's why Jesus said they rejoiced. This, this rejoicing was a, a banquet type of rejoicing, a party atmosphere that they rejoiced with John. But when the things got hard, they left. That is why Mark records in chapter 11 of his gospel that everyone saw John the Baptist as a prophet. And they saw him as a man that spoke the word of God. Like Elijah, paralleling his ministry, when Elijah himself confronts Ahab and Jezebel, and Jezebel sought to murder him as well. So friends, what we learn at the beginning of the second witness that Jesus calls to the stand of John is to be a person or a witness that carries courage and is not afraid of what people will say when you preach that gospel. He was not afraid to witness to powerful people. And therefore, you and I should not be afraid to witness to people that are more powerful or in authority. CEOs, maybe your own boss at work. Man, you're crazy. You want me to talk to my boss about Jesus? You want me to tell him that, that, that he needs to ask for forgiveness? Man, bro, you're crazy. I'm going to get fired. We can't, we can't bring religion into the workplace. It's got to be out. I'm not telling you how or when. I'm calling you to courage. I'm calling you to be the church because the church needs the few to defeat the many. The church needs you at this time to stand strong in the message. That's why at times the church can feel so stagnant, so boring, so ugh, because there's no fire in us. There's nothing motivating us to preach. We are often more motivated to go do some good works than we are to preach the gospel. That's why, friends, it's always, and we've said this our entire existence, it's always easier to give somebody a hot plate of food than to preach the gospel. It's always easier to give somebody clothing than to preach the gospel. And although those are part of what the Christian life should be doing, our primary message and our primary goal is to preach the gospel. And that is why you must be courageous enough to do so. Courageous enough even though it's politically incorrect. I'm reminded of the first great awakening that was happening in Europe and in the United States or the American colonies in the 18th century. This first great awakening was, had hosted prominent figures and prominent preachers like Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield. The prominent preaching of George Whitfield filled the streets of these early American colonies as he did so in England, Scotland, Ireland, and Wales. He was known for preaching outside when no church building would house him. Now you got to think about this. Many, some of the early newspapers of the 18th century would write that the crowds that would listen to George Whitfield preach numbered in the thousands. And this is before speakers and line arrays and, and, and microphones. He would preach to thousands upon thousands. 
He would preach to the poor people, to the unlearned, to the aristocracy, to, to even the great American thinkers of his times. He would often host 5 a.m. preaching sermons in the fields. How many of you would be down to go to a 5 a.m. sermon? But in those fields were thousands of people listening to the preaching of George Whitfield, and his primary message was, be right with Christ. Be reconciled with Christ. One prominent American whom Whitfield encountered in his day was Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin published the Pennsylvania Gazette. And in the Pennsylvania Gazette, Benjamin Franklin would publish many of George Whitfield's sermons as well as his letters. And that's impressive. That's like saying, I don't know if you read the New Yorker or, or the Economist or, or a famous, uh, uh, the Washington Post. That's like saying the Washington Post would publish my sermons. It would never happen. But in those times, Benjamin Franklin, a prominent American thinker, published his preachings, sermons, and his letters and his Pennsylvania Gazette. And the story goes that Benjamin Franklin and George Whitfield were great friends. However, Benjamin Franklin never came to Christ. But George Whitfield would not stop evangelizing Benjamin Franklin. Even though he would know that at any moment Benjamin Franklin could publish something about George Whitfield that would wipe him off the scene. He kept preaching and preaching and preaching. However, Franklin never came to Christ, as far as we know. Well, why do I say this? Because courage isn't only courage when you know the outcome. John the Baptist would preach and preach repentance to Herod and Herodias without knowing the outcome, without knowing that or probably fully knowing that he would die, but not knowing whether or not Herod or Herodias would be convicted of their sin. So courage is not knowing the outcome by saying, if I preach to this person, if I share the gospel here, and people are going to listen to me, and they're going to come to Christ, and everything's going to be good. Chances are they won't. And chances are you will be mocked, spit on, laughed at, or like our modern culture calls it, canceled. However, preach the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation. The gospel is under constant cultural assault in our day. Our youth are being swayed by the social current of our day, making them believe that the church is antiquated and asleep and is doing nothing. The church is being told by culture, what to do, what to say, what to believe in, and what to stand for by those who stand against Christ. We understand this because we know who our enemy is. So before we leave today, I want to remind you of who your enemy is, but who's on your side. Open your Bible with me to the book of Ephesians. Before we leave I want you to listen closely to the words of Paul. Ephesians chapter 6, 
verses 10. Why don't you stand this morning with me as we read this to close. The Word of God says, Finally, be strong in who? The Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of who? The devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of the evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Say that with me. Stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and, the sh and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with, with, his, with, with his which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in change that I may declare it what boldly as I ought to speak I pray friends that your prayer this morning be the prayer of Paul that I may preach boldly even though I'm in chains I may preach the gospel amen amen, amen.